guys. How we doing? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you eat too much? You feeling a little bloated right now? Yeah, no? Oh, okay. Well, I might be the only one. I was like, man, I hope my shirt's not too tight tonight. So, guys, it's good to see you. We've been in this series uh, called Family Portraits over the last several weeks, and we're going to continue this evening. A couple of weeks ago, um, well, actually three weeks ago, you heard Alec talk about uh, family legacies, leaving a legacy. And then last couple of weeks, Matt's preached. He preached on family priorities, and then he talked about reconciliation last week. And so we're going to continue in this, uh, this series. And I hope you have found, first of all, there's a lot of comparisons when we start thinking about our families, right? We look out, we look at these other families, and we go, man, there's, there's nobody family like mine out there. Mine's unique. Mine might be a little bit different. Mine might be messed up. And the reality is, man, all of us are messed up. All of us have messed up families. And so what we talk about is really pertaining to all of us. And so my prayer is that you would just receive from the Holy Spirit what he has for you regarding your family and what it looks like as we dive in. You know, families really are the building block of society. Uh, man, they are so vital to us. There are several things that they're vital about. One is families help us get through the most disastrous seasons of life and the best times of life, right? They're there in thick and thin. Families are important because they offer us support and stability. Families are there because they always look to see to bring out the best even in us, even when we can't see that for ourselves. And when I say this, you know, often we think about these things and go, well, man, I don't know that that's my family. And so here I have some words of encouragement to you. Whether that's your, your family, your biological family or not, man, that's God's family. And so we have other family besides our biological families. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. But before we get going, I, I researched family a little bit and I came up with eight things that make up a family. And so listen to these things that came up. One was grace. Grace is giving someone something they may not deserve, right? They talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is vital. Allowing someone basically to be forgiven of a wrongdoing, even if they don't like say I'm sorry and actually want forgiveness. The other is loyalty, unswerving allegiance to one another. Respect, not just tolerating each other's differences, but almost finding the value in each other's differences so that we can grow and become sharper together. It's having respect for one another. Support, supporting each other's choices, life paths, decisions, just those different things of support. Trust, trust is what allows us to take those risks and try things and grow because we know there's this safety net of family that's going to be there for us. Vulnerability, right? Being, having intimacy. Sometimes family's the only place that we can really have intimacy with. And then the biggest, which I'm sure you're waiting for, was love. But not just love, we're talking about unconditional love. Love that doesn't come with uh, what you've done to earn it or deserve it, but just unconditional love. So today, when we look at families, we're going to look at families that are beyond normal. Now, if you notice, I didn't say abnormal. I said beyond normal, right? So before we get started, would you, would you do me a favor and just pray with me? 
and ask the Holy Spirit to open up your heart and your minds to hear from Him what He has for you. Would you do that? Let's pray. My Lord, right now we, we do just submit to your authority. We submit to you, Spirit, to lead us and guide us and speak to us and teach us. And God, my, my prayer is that, including myself, all of us would receive from you the things that we need in order to have families that are really beyond normal. Families that can be used by you. Families that really are salt and light to this world uh, that need you desperately. So through your word, would you just reveal what that looks like and, and maybe how we can walk in step with scripture to achieve this. And so God, right now we offer ourselves up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I say family that is beyond normal, uh, you know, I, oft, I thought of extraordinary really is the word that came to mind. And so as I looked at the definition of extraordinary, it says this, very unusual or remarkable. Very unusual or remarkable. So think about that for a, a minute. I, I want to tell you that my personal family is very unusual, right? Like I have a very unusual family. And let me, let me explain what that looks like. So Carrie and I have been married for 27 years. And many of you know we have six kids. I now have a daughter-in-law and a grandbaby. His name's Everett Judd Vire, but I call him Little Judd because I should, right? So Little Judd's now here. And, and here's the thing. When I think about our family and how we got to where we are, I think back, Carrie and I, when we first got married, we never had a, like a size family that we were going for or wanted. And honestly, at first, I think my wife said, I don't want kids at all. I think that's really where she came from. And so we start this family. We had our first kid, then our second then our third, and then our fourth. And when our fourth was on its way, when she was on her way, man, we both were like, okay, we're done. We're, we're done having kids. Four's enough. That's it. We're cutting this off. And I actually went and joined this special club for men that takes care of that. And before she was born, right, like we were really done. We told God we're done. And, and so let me just tell you, fast forward seven years from that point forward, right, and, and at this time, my sister uh, had just had a baby, and she's not married, and she's living with my mom and dad, and my dad passes away very suddenly. And so my sister had issues with addictions and things like that, and so when all this came up, it was just overwhelming for my family. And so my sister couldn't take care of her baby, Zeke. And so she gave, my, my mom started stepping in to take care of Zeke, and it was overwhelming for my mom, you can imagine. Having this little uh, infant child and just losing your husband. And so I really felt like we were supposed to step in and take Zeke, and I decided to do that whenever my wife was in New Mexico at youth camp. That, now, I will say this, I talked to her before I did this, and she says, well, that's on you. But so literally, I got Zeke, and I drove home two hours with this baby, and I had forgotten, like, what they eat at 10 months old. I'm like, what do I feed him? Like, what do I do with him, you know? A couple of days later, Carrie gets home to a family, and we've got this new 10-month-old baby. Now, 18 months later, through CPS, we adopted Zeke. And he became part of our family, which was already part of our family, right? 
I went from being uncle to dad. And my sister went from being mom to aunt, which is kind of weird, right? It's unusual. But then during this time, too, during this 18 months of, of going through adoption, my sister found out she was pregnant again. But this time she found out when she was incarcerated. And so she literally had Audrey while she was incarcerated, and we got Audrey at three days old. And so the process started all over again. 18 months later, we adopted Audrey. And part of this adoption process, man, I, let me just tell you, I learned a lot, okay? Did you, did you know that when you adopt kids, like they get a brand new birth certificate? Did y'all know that? Like the, the names of the original parents are taken off and your names are put on there. And it's like that never happened and this is now your kid and you have a birth certificate. I know there's some out there who adopted, so I know you know what I'm talking about. Here's the other part is this. When you, when you do the birth certificate, you can rename kids. Now, we didn't rename kids, but I did drop a name because Zeke was Ezekiel Francis Jude Vire. And we called him Zeke, so he had all these names and it didn't make sense. So I dropped the Jude because my sister named him Jude after, hey Jude, right? The other names are family names. So there, it's unusual, right? Like this, this is unusual. And so let me just tell you like now we have a family that I have a 27-year-old, a 24-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And we're spread out, and I got a grandbaby, and it's unusual. And the moral of this story, the reason I told you that, is don't ever tell God that you're done having kids or anything else. That, that's why I shared that. Don't tell God what you're going to do, because God has a sense of humor, right? Like he has bigger plans. He knows better than you know. And so today, I stand before you going, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, it might look unusual and be weird, but the reality is this. Man, I got six kids, and it's amazing, and we just had Thanksgiving, and I'm so thankful. And I hope you had time this week to, to be thankful for what God has given you. And so as we look, you may be thinking, you know, man, you might be, it may not be normal, but you don't know my family. Like, every one of us in this room and watching online have a story, Right? Like our families are not normal because I don't know what normal is. Normal's overrated, whatever it is. So I'm here to tell you today when we look, we may have some dysfunctional families or seem abnormal on the outside, but the reality is this. God's family, man, it's perfect. But God's family's still made up with people like us, right? So how is it perfect? And I'm going to give you a few things that make a family beyond normal, make them way beyond normal. And so when I talk to you and we look at passage, we're going to be talking about God's family and how it can be beyond normal in a world. And so as we dive in, I want us to look at the book of Daniel today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or look at your apps, turn to Daniel chapter 1. And what we're going to do, I'm going to set the stage for you in Daniel because here's what it looks like. There were four friends, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay? These four friends, they were young Hebrew guys, Jewish guys, who were taken captain, captive in one of the Babylonian raids against Judah. 
Okay? So Babylon came in, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, raided. These guys were taken captive, and King Nebuchadnezzar had their names changed in an attempt to take away their Jewish identity. He literally said, take their names away. I'm going to change their identity so that this, this Jewish part of them, this Hebrew part, is gone. He changed Daniel to Belshazzar, and the other three to, you might remember these, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so that's the stage as we dive into to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. So will you guys read with me? It said, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. You know, for these guys to have been captives... They really weren't in a bad place, if you think about it. Man, they were going to get the king's food and his wine, and they were going to be educated and taught. And not only that, their job was going to be to get to serve within the palace. They, they were to eat and drink the same food that the king did. And it definitely beats, you know, slave labor or being beaten or being in a dungeon somewhere, right? But then we're going to pick up and listen in verse 8. It says, but Daniel... Resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. So, so here's what this looks like. Here's Daniel, a young Jewish man who loves God and is faithful to the law, right? And in that law, you couldn't eat certain things or drink certain things. And so he's saying, hey, it goes against my convictions and against God's word to do this. And so he, he said, hey, I'm not going to defile myself by eating and drinking this. And he had favor. God gave him favor. He was willing to risk it all, though. He was willing to be put to death or be imprisoned or have to do anything else by making this stand. And the eunuch who was over these guys, man, he was worried that if, hey, if you don't eat this and drink this, you might look worse than those other guys who are. And if that's the case, the king's going to find out. And if he finds out, it's my head on the block. I'm the one that's going to get in trouble. And so he was really worried about this. And so it put his life in danger. Now look at verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it seemed that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Coming out of Thanksgiving, man, I feel that, fatter in flesh. And then all the youths who ate the king's food, so the steward took away their food and wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So check this out. Because these young men were obedient to God and said, hey, we're taking a stand, they said, hey, test us for 10 days. See how we compare with those other guys. And at the end of it, they compared really well. They looked better than the other guys. And so then the, commu- the, the eunuch said, hey, since you look better, I'm going to let you keep doing it. I mean, this can't hurt me anymore, so keep on. Then we pick up in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had an, in, uh, had an understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so these guys were beyond normal. And yet they were really just normal. They were normal guys who were devoted to God. Who basically said, hey, we're going to stand up for what God says. And in doing so, God gave them favor. Not just what they ate, but then he puts them in front of the king. And gives them favor in front of the king to be wise counsel. To interpret visions and dreams and things like that. He blessed them for that. And so... As they faced persecution and even death, they ended up turning around and getting favor by the one who actually said, this is my orders. Now, families that are beyond normal are one, are fully devoted to God. That's the first and foremost thing that that makes anybody beyond normal, is that they're fully devoted to God. They obeyed no matter what. That they may, giving, they may be giving up or troubles that it might cause them. I just want to ask you, have you ever been in that position where, man, in order to follow God and really be obedient, be devoted to Him, it might cost you something? It might actually put you in a position that it might cause you trouble? Or you might actually lose something because you were devoted? Later in chapter 3 of Daniel, these guys, this family... This family of God that God put together will be once again uh, tested to be be beyond normal. See, when King Nebuchadnezzar built this huge image, he would told everybody in the land that when they heard the music, they were to bow down and worship this image, right? And the, the hard part was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego basically refused to do so. Nor would they serve any gods of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that he ordered them to be put in the fiery furnace, right? This furnace was overheated so much that the guys heating it up would die from the heat. And not only did these three go in there, there was also an angel in there. It actually says the angel looked like a son of the gods in there with them. 
but none of them were burned up and they came out. And my, my question for this is, that's beyond normal, right? Like that's really beyond normal. There's a miracle here. But my question is, were they beyond normal in this moment or were they beyond normal back when they submitted to God in the first place? Because I believe this, when we're obedient to God, man, when we, when we press into him as a family and we're devoted to him, man, that's where it becomes the beyond normal. That's where it starts and progresses and progresses and God continues to bless and give favor and you grow in your strength to be obedient and do what he calls you to do. So when these guys were obedient, not only were they protected, they actually were given favor and it happened over and over again. Devotion to God and obedience is what made them beyond normal. So the first thing that makes a family beyond normal is we're fully devoted to God. The other is trust and obey God no matter what. Devotion often doesn't mean obedience. You can honor and devote yourself to something but not also obey. So it takes both. It takes devotion and obedience. And so are you willing to be beyond normal? See, you can have a family of one. You know that, right? It starts with you, then when God puts somebody with you, there's two, three, and it multiplies. But it starts with you making a decision to be beyond normal. Are you willing to be totally devoted and obedient to God? As I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about King Nebuchadnezzar and how he changed these four guys' names, right? He was trying to change their identity by changing their names, And for most of us here in the States, our last name represents the families from which we came. From those names, you can sometimes tell people's nationality. My last name is Weyer, which is German. It's the number four in German. And so I was always assumed I was German. And two days ago, my mom said, yeah, we're not German. I'm like, well, how did that happen? She goes, well, it used to be Via. And somewhere along the way, people changed it to Weyer. And now that's German, but we're from France. And I have American Indian in me. So here's, here's the thing that I say about that. Is our names often indicate where we come from. Our, our nationality. We do find that names have meaning, right? Biblical names in the Bible. Like Jud is closest to Jude. And Jude has a name in the Bible which means praised. In other cultures around the world, names represent people's faith. Islam names, right? Hindu names, Buddhist names, other religion names. Changing someone's names in those countries signify a change in their faith. And that can come with a price, just like with King Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine if these four guys that we read about decided they wouldn't change their names? I believe they would have been put to death in that moment. And God wouldn't have been able to use them before. But often it means literally we put ourselves in line when we submit and change our name. And so I have someone from another country. It's my brother from another mother in India, John Serla. Dr. John Serla, come on up here. Would you guys welcome John? Because what I'm talking about still exists right now. This isn't something that was just back in King Nebuchadnezzar's day. 
So I've known John for man, almost seven years, and he really is my dear brother. I think we're starting to look more alike the, the longer we spend time together. But I have spent much time in his home. He's spent much time in my home, and uh, I love him dearly. His, uh, his dad helped start Far Corners Missions, or International, uh, in India. And then his son, uh, John David's son, Jesse, took over. And then John is third-generation missions in India, and they do a variety of things from planting churches to taking care of orphans, widows, lepers, and uh, Annie's a medical doctor. His his family has a lot of medical doctors, but John actually gave up medicine to serve the Lord in missions, and so he's already given a sacrifice. But I wanted John to come up here and actually talk a little bit uh, about what it looks like in India. There's a caste system there, and I wanted him to talk about the caste system and what do names have to do with the caste system. So, John, do you mind just telling us about that? So, caste is um, hereditary social cla- classes in India, and it's believed in Hindu uh, religion that caste originated originated from parts of the body of uh, Hindu god of creation, Brahma. So from head, it's Brahmins, uh, which is the priestly clan. From upper body, the Kshatriyas, the warrior clan. From uh, lower body, it's the Vaishyas, the merchant clan. And from the feet, the Sudras, the peasant clan. And underneath, there are two more classes who who were considered to be untouchables. So what started off as a discrimination of their trades, it evolved over the years into some a huge tool, tool for oppression. So nowadays you can identify people with the last name which is given to them. Uh, like for example, Krishna Sastri. Sastri means from Brahman Klein, and uh, Krishnam Raju mean Raju means a king which is from Shat- from Kshatriyas and so on and so forth. So this discrimination of caste, it even uh, trickles down into adoration of movie stars, political affiliations, as well as uh, get, uh, uh, getting jobs in the society. Yeah, so basically by somebody's name, you can tell what caste they're in, and by what caste they're in, you decide if you want to associate with them or not because it's these different levels of society. And so they come from a Hindu background. So tell us this. What does it mean when somebody comes from a Hindu background, they become a Christian and they change their name because they really do this to a Christian name? What does that look like and what happens? Well, what started off with the religion, this, uh, the constitution of India, it, pro- it discriminates, I mean, it divides the caste system into OC, BC, SC, and ST. So OC means open category, which has the, all the upper castes. BC means backward classes, which um, in, uh, from Shudras and below. And scheduled castes and scheduled tribes are predominantly the untouchables of the society. So when an upper caste person changes his name, well, religion and caste are two different entities, but it's somehow designed in the constitution that they overlap all the time. So when an upper caste person, he, he 
uh, he comes to same grace of Christ and he wants to change his identity as per the records of the government, his caste remains the same, so his social standing in the society remains the same, but his religion changes as per the certificate. But, a lower, but on the other side, the lower caste person, if he believes Christ and he wants to change it on, Christ, on records with the government, his uh, caste automatically gets bumped from social scheduled caste to backward Christian classes. But um, if he wants to change it to Christian, his religion to Christian, so that let that what what it does is it uh, the reservations what he has a twenty five percent reservation what he used to enjoy being a Hindu he has to forego which falls down to thirteen percent or below just because he wants to identify with Christ. Yeah, so a lot of people in India, when they become a Christian, when they, when they convert, they'll keep their same name or they'll change their name to a Christian name. And, and that's okay. It's, it's people around them are going to know, but the government has, has no idea they've done it. But there's this one element where we called it a bona fide Christian. That's the term that you guys have used. Is That's where someone, once they convert, they become a Christian, they actually register with the government as a Christian instead of a Hindu. And in India, their, their motto is they want to return to their roots where everybody is Hindu and it be a Hindu nation in India. So when you register with the government and say, hey, I'm changing from Hindu to Christianity, what does that look like? Well, it, <clears throat> most of the times the government officials, they make it really difficult them to change the religion and the certificate. Uh, the reason why most of the uh, the percentage of Christianity is below 2% is that majority of the Christians are still registered as Hindus um, because of difficulty in changing as well as of uh, the fear of losing their reservations for employment, higher education or, uh, or, the, uh, or the benefits from the government. So if you heard what he said, is you can actually lose your opportunities for education, for employment, and benefits by changing and being a bona fide Christian and registering with the government as such. And I, I think there's this element for us in the U.S. where uh, our our religion or our faith is, is convenient, right? We can, here in America, we have freedom of religion and the government has no oversight of that. And in reality, there's not really a price to pay by being a Christian here. So I think there's an element for us when we talk about really um, beyond normal. In other countries, for somebody to say I'm a Christian and step out there and change their name to a Christian name, register with the government, there's a price to pay. And there's something for us to look and go, man, what here in America does it mean for us to be Christians, and is what does it mean for us to live beyond normal um, here in the U.S.? And so I'm going to point out one thing here. Um, families that are beyond normal are fully devoted to God. They trust and obey God no matter what. And here's the other. They find their identity or their name in Christ. Their identity is in Christ. And I want, I want to remind you of one of the passages that we say where um, once you give your life to Christ, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, 
to spend eternity with God, right? You're his. Your name is going to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your identity is in Christ. God knows what that name is. He knows you by name. He, he created you in his image. He knows every hair or lack thereof on your head. And he knows you well. And here's what he wants from you. He wants you to live beyond normal. He wants you to put him first. Be devoted to him. Be obedient with him. And find your identity in him. That's what it means to, live, to be a family um, that really is beyond normal. And so kind of as we, as we close, I just wanted to ask John this. John, do you have something you would like to say to us Christians in America? Maybe something that you want to encourage us with. Uh, well, I really feel blessed to be a, uh, to visiting America because no matter how bleak the situations might seem, there's always... We, every corner I see goodness because to give an example uh, two weeks back I was in um, Florida attending a, my one of my distant cousin's wedding and I arrive around 12.30 a.m. in the night after a long flight from California and I was told that I need a physical credit card to check in for incident incidentals and was not let in after two hours trying on the phone calling to India and trying to get my card to work here in America on the verge of losing hope, I, a lady stepped in, she checked in and I've asked her and she kindly obliged to put her credit card in to, in to pay that incidental amount which will be dependent later and I checked in. So it gives me confidence that no matter how hard or how bleak the situation seemed, this country was founded on a foundation called Christ so it's never too late with a little more love and a little more prayer I think this country can be born back for Christ again thank you you know one thing I love about India is when you when you go into a church in India you take your shoes off I don't know if y'all notice that John's up here in his nice looking uh, Puma socks here but uh, man, it makes me makes me homesick for India so I love you thank you for being here today would you guys pray with me? And Lord, we just love you so much. Man, would you show us how to have families that are just beyond normal, just that are extraordinary for you. Families that will represent you, will pursue you, will obey you, will find their identity in you, will stand up despite what sacrifices that mean. Just like John was saying, for, for somebody part of the body of Christ here to say, hey, I'll let you use my credit card. God, we have family all around the globe who find their identity in you. And so God, I just pray right now, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you or is part of your family, who has not taken that step of faith to say, Lord, I just give my life to you. Come in, be Lord of my life. And I pray that today's the day. Lord, I thank you for just giving us a family here at the creek that can love one another and grow together and serve. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to make us more like your son Jesus every day. And we pray it in his name. Amen.